And just right off the, the, the top, just to thank you for uh, just the warmth of your welcome. It's just been great getting to know some of you and for uh, Nick and Viv as well, just to make us feel part of the family. You guys have really been gracious to us, and we appreciate that very much. This is new to us, this part of the, the world. Very pretty, very beautiful. So what we're going to do today is we're going to share in tandem. My wife and I are both going to share. I'm going to just do the introduction, and then um, Bernie will carry on, and then I'll finish it, it off. But essentially, what I'd like to do is just give you the context of what we're sharing this morning. Uh, Bernie and I were both born in Zimbabwe. Our parents were born in Zimbabwe. Our children were born in Zimbabwe. Uh, we lived and worked in Zimbabwe. We were Zimbabweans. And uh, as many of you would know, there was a war up there. Uh, we went into that in about 1967. Uh, quite involved with that right the way through until 1980 or so. And then 1981, um, in 1980, independence came. We stayed there for a year. And then what happened was the opportunities that I had. I was basically a magistrate, district commissioner, district administrator, and the opportunities we had closed. And therefore, we had to leave and come down to South Africa. And when we did that, what happened was Zimbabwe took away our citizenship. They, uh, illegally, I think, they took it away. And so Bernie and I were stateless. We then became South Africans, and we are, for all intents and purposes, South African. We've lived here since uh, 1981. Uh, back in uh, 1990, we went uh, full-time ministry with Cornerstone Church in Johannesburg. Uh, we were there for three or four years, and then we planted a church out in Johannesburg. Um, we ran that for six or seven years. We then handed that over, and we felt the call to go back to Zimbabwe. Now, the difficulty was, of course, they stripped us of our citizenship back in 1983. Uh, going back there in 2000 was difficult because we had to apply for work permits, uh, residence permits, and they refused us. We then went on appeal. When we went through the appeal process, it was very obvious that there was a lot of hostility towards us, and they turned us down. There's a beautiful scripture in Acts where the disciples are facing a dilemma where the government told them to do one thing, or the Sanhedrin did, and the uh, call of God said something else. So they had to say, are we going to obey God, or are we going to obey man? And therefore, Bernie and I decided that uh, God's voice was the better and stronger voice, and we, so we stayed. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail. Bernie has written a book on it, the experiences we had up there. But uh, essentially, we were under the radar. Uh, we, we were tourists in Zimbabwe, but we planted two churches up there in that process. Uh, we had to do different things to get in and out. We had many, many different experiences. And the most amazing thing, is that when you and I give our all to God, God gives everything to us. Uh, they were perhaps some of the toughest years of our life, but they were the best years of our life. Uh, we flourished in so many different ways. We experienced the life of church. We had an experiential Christianity. We still do. We began to realize that God has our back, and uh, we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. You can imagine at one stage the inflation rate was 80 with nine zeros after it. I don't know what that is. But uh, if you didn't spend your money today, it was worth half by that evening, literally. And, and we went through all of that. We, Betty and I didn't get a salary for eight years, and yet you can see we, we still flourished. Uh, so that was the sort of context in the background to us. We went back up there, as I say, in 2000, and then we got apprehended by the police in 2007. I don't want to go back too much detail into that. Um, and, of course, we were then um, ejected. And we came back to South Africa, 
Uh, subsequently, we've been, been back up there. We've just come back this last week. We were up there. The church we planted in Harare. Send their greetings. We said we were preaching here today. And uh, we went up there for the fifth transition. It's been most amazing. We, when we left there, we had to hand the church over by email. We had to leave so quickly. And so I don't know how many churches have been handed over by email, but we handed it over by email. And subsequent to that, there have been a number of different transitions. And friends, when Bernie and I left there, we thought this church is going to collapse because Bernie and Ian are not there. We thought it was just, we, we had the answer for this church. They needed us. And ultimately, we discovered actually we needed them more than they needed us. And as we transitioned that, we found the guys who took over for us, took it further. There was a different energy in it, a different uh, perspective. And they took it further than we went. And the guys who took over from them took it further. Now we just handed it over. When I say we, the church, for the fifth transition, and that church is blossoming. It's, it's going well. So uh, the transitions have just been the most amazing thing where I've begun to realize that often transitions, if they, if they really are of God and are done well, uh, God is behind that, and, and, and there's a new energy that comes into the life of the church. So anyway, we got expelled from, uh, from there, and we're now living in Nelspreit. And uh, what we're going to do is just share with you some of God's workings in the lives of men and women like yourself. Now, Bernie and I are very simple people. We, honestly, we are. We, we, we're not different from any one of you. And so some of the stuff that we share with you this morning uh, can be your testimony as well. And I'm sure it's been the testimony of some of you already. So, Bernie, won't you come up and just, just share? It's my wife, Bernie. Won't you just welcome her? Let her feel at home. <laughs> So um, when Nick asked us to share our faith journey, I remembered the, the first time that I really understood what faith means. It was when we were praying for a baby. And I was listening to a message at that time on Hebrews 11 verse 1, and it says this. It says, now faith is. So now is present tense. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And another translation says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. And I, I listened to that message a few times over, and it really impacted me. I, I, I got such a deep understanding of what faith is and what it is not. Faith has substance. It has substance. Do you know what that means? It's, it's the reality of who we are trusting in that gives faith substance. So we are trusting in God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. There is nothing that God cannot do. It is who we trust in that gives faith substance. So when we pray for something... Faith is the reality of what we are trusting for. Okay? Faith takes the place of what we've asked for while it's still intangible. Intangible. How do you say that? Intangible. So faith is what we need until the answer to what we've prayed for is seen. Okay? You get that. So it took me a while to get that. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page before I carry on. 
I, as I said, I had to listen to that message over and over again. So we cannot see God, but it's our faith that makes God very real to us. And faith causes us to become very aware, extremely aware of the presence of God. It's faith that makes God real to us. So while I was listening to that message in Hebrews, I realized that I had to bring my trusting into the present. So what I was hoping for, I thought was faith. I was hoping for a baby. But it was like sometime, you know, out there, somewhere. But I realized I had to bring my trusting and my hope into now. Because now, present tense, faith is. Faith is now. I had to believe that what I had asked God for is mine already. Now, before I lose all of you, let me just back that up with Scripture, okay? <laughs> 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15, if you want to look that up with me. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That's God, obviously. That if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. Now, we can't pray for anything that God will not sanction and expect a favorable answer. It's not going to happen. But we have every confidence that if we pray according to the will of God, he hears us. And verse 15 says, If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have, the Amplified Bible says, as our present possession the thing that we've asked God for. So when we ask, we know we're praying God's will, we can be absolutely convinced that we have now, haven't seen it yet, haven't felt it yet, haven't experienced it yet, but, but because God has heard me, because I've prayed his will, it is mine now. It's not tangible yet, but it's mine. That's faith. So... We have a daughter, and her name is Faith. It had to be. <laughs> She's a product of Hebrews 11 verse 1. So God yearns for us to trust only him and to live only in his kingdom. And God's kingdom is not affected by the conditions here on earth. Like Ian said, the economy of Zimbabwe had totally collapsed when we were there. Inflation was 80 with nine zeros behind it. How you say that number, I have no idea. <laughs> and there was the, the, the rand to dollars and Bobby dollar exchange was like billions. I don't know what is more, billions or trillions? Billions. Bill trillions is the, sorry? Trillions. trillions. So it was trillions to one South African rand. Trillions. I don't know how many thousands of trillions to one rand. So when you go and buy a bread, you have the, they call them bricks. They were notes in what, thousands? Thousand notes. Um, so you have a trillion, thousand notes in a brick, and you have so many bricks to buy a bread. <laughs> um, and in a situation like that, you need faith. That is how you, you survive. Without faith, it's impossible to, to actually survive in a situation like that. Many people went down. Many people crashed because there was nothing for them to trust in. 
but we have a God that is not confined to any economy, no matter how bad it is. So I have a few stories of um, the things that God did, his goodness, his provision, but also his correction. I want to share one story about God's correction for me personally. Life in Zim became extremely difficult. And it was not merely a financial lack, but also a lack of everything. So even if we had the money, which we didn't, it wouldn't have mattered because there was nothing in the shops eventually. The shelves were empty. And often when we tell people that the shelves were empty, they just can't conceive that a shop could be entirely empty with nothing on the shelf. But that's how it eventually became. So I've written about the creative miracle in this book. I'm going to share a few snippets from it. But that's not the story that I want to share today. I want to share with you about God's amazing ability to multiply provisions. And God still does that. Even though the shops are full here and we do have money in our purse, God still chooses to sometimes amaze us with his goodness. And he multiplies things that, that it, it just absolutely thrills me. Now, shopping in Zim became more and more of a challenge as the Zimbabwe dollar continued to devalue and the shelves just became emptier and emptier. And a purse quickly became redundant because you just couldn't fit the money into the purse. Um, and then eventually the, the shopping bags that we used were also too small. And so there was a joke that went around about a guy that carted his cash to the bank in a wheelbarrow. And a thief came, knocked him over the head, turfed the money out onto the pavement and ran off with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> so um, the story I want to read to you is about a washing powder that I bought at a time where you, when I could still fit the money into a shopping bag. Our daughter Faith was visiting at the time, and um, I bought a, a five-kilogram tub of best ever washing powder. Not Omo, best ever. So I want to read that story um, to you. You'll see why I mentioned that Faith was there in a second. So the cost of a tub of washing powder had gone up in price, and I knew if I didn't have the money then, it would certainly be more expensive on my next visit to the supermarket. So I, I took all the money that I had out of that shopping bag, but that tub of best ever went home with me. So the tub of best ever was bottomless. I was elated one morning when I realized that it had been a very long time since I'd last bought washing powder. As I stood at my washing machine, I tried to think back of the date of purchase and I remembered going shopping with Faith. And then I calculated how long it had been since then. It was 14 months. 14 months. Now, how does five kilograms of washing powder last 14 months? Only God's economy. <laughs> so God is not restricted to our economy. He, he, he works on a totally different plane. But you know, my heart was moved with such absolute awe. And even as I stand here, I remember how I felt. And that is how this book was conceived. I wanted with all my heart for the world to know that we serve 
an amazing God who wants to bless us. He is so kind and he's so generous and he wants us to be thrilled by his goodness. So he continues to do things that thrill the living daylights out of me. This making things last started in Zim and we have testimonies of him doing that during the fuel shortages when all the pumps were dry. There wasn't a single pump in Arari that had any fuel in it. And in fact, when we were traveling around in, on ministry, there was not a single pump in Masvingu, which is what we went to next, that had any fuel, or in Triangle, or in Chiredzi, where we eventually ended up. No fuel. And we were there for a whole week. Anyway, that's another story. You can read about it. Um, so we drove for many, many kilometers with a fuel gauge light on. And we honestly don't know how much fuel was in the tank when the light came on. But what we do know is we, we never, ever ran out of fuel, ever. God always got us to our destination and then back home again safely. So someone asked us once how on earth we did any form of ministry in an environment like that. How do you get around without fuel? Well, there was a lack of everything and how do you cope when your cloth is only that big? Now, I must just say that we firmly believe that you have to cut your cloth according to size. You can't spend money that you don't have. That's not good. And that's actually not what, God, what pleases God. But in the situation that we faced, if we had waited for fuel to come into the petrol pumps, we would never have done any ministry. So when God said go, we went. And as we picked up the scissors, God just made that cloth bigger. <laughs> because as I said, we never ever ran out of fuel. So, uh, uh, we, Ian's got a clock here, and I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to to read the other stories, but I just want to. I want to do one last story, and the reason I want to do this is because I believe it's got a, a very important lesson for all of us, if we want to live by faith and please God. So, uh, trusting God for me seems to be linked with having a clear conscience somehow. And um, if your conscience is clear, then the devil will have a very, very hard time putting condemnation on you. And it's so important not to get yourself in a situation where you're crippled with condemnation. Because when you feel condemned, it's almost impossible to have faith towards God. And the simple reason is that you don't feel worthy. Now, this story is a very personal one. It's rather embarrassing, actually. And if anyone ever had any illusions of me being anything but who I truly am, they are very quickly enlightened when they read the book because there's a few stories here that just show what I'm, what's hidden in my heart. You know, the Bible says that the heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Well, I don't hide anything. Anyway... When we're on holiday, we traditionally collect mussels 
off the rocks and then we we have a little primus sell a pot on the beach and we cook them and we eat them there they just taste nicer and on this one particular holiday while we were in zim we got our our um, muscle license for 30 muscles and we collected them and oh, Ian was putting them in the pot. I wandered down the beach and I, I was looking for you know, other places where the mussels were. And I cut a very long story short. I saw one that was enormous, like much bigger than the ones that we'd collected. So I went and I twisted it off. And then I realized, gosh, now we've got 31. Anyway, let me read it to you. Like I said, it's quite embarrassing. So I had 31 muscles now. Then I saw an even bigger one, and I wrestled that out of its secure position. Another enormous muscle beckoned me, and I yanked and twisted at it until it too was firmly clutched in my fist with the other two. Actually, I had difficulty holding them in one hand due to the size. I knew now that we had 33 muscles and my poor conscience was jumping up and down in a vain attempt to attract my attention. So rather than linger any longer, I suddenly felt very guilty about these forbidden extras. I walked back to where Ian was cooking the previously harvested mussels in our pot. I was a couple of meters away when I noticed two parks board officials hurrying across the beach towards us. <laughs> you can imagine how I felt. There I was with three illegal mussels and the pot was full of 30. And immediately I was struck by, now let me just interrupt myself and say, you know, you might think that I'm making a big thing out of nothing, but whether it's three extra or 300 extra, it makes no difference. I knew it was wrong. And sin has the horrible habit of just disguising its destructive power. And if we allow our conscience to become seared, you know, your conscience is there to guide you, to do what is right in God's eyes. And if we ignore that, eventually our conscience is seared and then sin escalates. You just have to look at the Bible and see what happens to people like David. If he had turned away when he glanced at Bathsheba bathing in the nude, of course, she was in the nude, but he should have just turned around and fled. But what did he do? Can you see how his sin escalated? Then he got her, committed adultery. There was a baby. He lied. He tried to get uh, her husband to go and sleep with her. Eventually, he killed the guy. He, was, he became a murderer. That is what happens when we don't listen to our conscience. And so for me, it was a big deal because I sat there with these things. What I actually did was I, I sat on them. When, when the, the Fox Board officials were looking around, I just sat on them. And you know, they opened and closed their shells on my very tender parts. And I was, I was squirming in pain and just, I felt like God was sitting on my chest. I could not breathe. And I said, oh. Father, please just remove this heaviness. And it was like he yelled from heaven. You know, God speaks in that still quiet voice. It sounded like a bellowing. It was so loud here on the inside of me. And he said, no, I will not. You have to learn this lesson. Let me read to you what he said to me. It was, it made such a profound, it had a, a profound effect on me. 
Um, he said, when you do what you believe to be wrong, your heart condemns you and you have no faith towards me. And I realized at that point I could ask him for nothing because I didn't, I felt so unworthy, I felt so guilty, I felt so wrong. And that's what happens. And then I was reminded of a scripture that I've also written down. It's in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn you, in other words, you have no unfinished business with God. You have forgiven. You have sorted out the issues in your heart that are, are grieving to God. You are walking in a good place with God. Your hearts do not condemn you. You have confidence before me, and you receive from me anything you ask because you obey my commandments and do what pleases me. So if you, if you have something that condemns you, you've got no faith in your heart towards God. And so your, your prayers like bounce off the ceiling. Anyway, I, 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 did, I did sort myself out, and I really I, I made myself... Uh, I've gone way over my time. Okay, I'm not even going to be able to conclude. Amen. <laughs> I think one of the important things here is these, uh, we read through Hebrews chapter 11, and we see how these men and women uh, persevered and sought through. And we're just going to read from Hebrews 11 quickly as well. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. And as you turn there, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So the testimonies, the scriptures, all of these things are written for our instruction. And that is what God is wanting for us today, is to us to learn from these saints of old. Um, whatever was written in former form, form was for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we see from, from this, the scriptures now give us hope and give us instruction. And in Hebrews chapter 11, if we can read from uh, verse 32 to 35, um, obviously the advantage would have been to have read through the whole of Hebrews chapter 11. But if I can just take this snippet from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says, and who through faith, now it's talking about all of these guys, the scriptures have been talking about, Abraham and David and all of these blokes before, uh, and through, who, through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, step, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Now, as I shared with you, Bernie and I just, we, we really are simple people. We're ordinary people like you and I. But something happens when you and I become obedient to God's word, when you and I become obedient to the call of God, and you and I surrender our lives entirely to God. So what was it that enabled these saints of old to press through? You know, sometimes we may hear some of these stories and we may think, oh, those are people of great faith. Or we read through these scriptures in Hebrews 11 and we say, man, I, it's just not me. It's not who I am. And actually that's a deception because it is who you are. You and I are, are the same, and I'm going to just highlight that and try to encourage you this morning to say, what is it that enabled these saints of old? What is it that enabled us to go back to Zimbabwe when the whole place was crumbling, everybody was emigrating, and we were trying to emigrate, 
And we then had to live clandestinely for eight odd years and eventually get apprehended by the police. Um, and during that period of time, we were, we were chased with people with AK-47s. We were stopped at roadblocks. Uh, story after story after story. Miracle after miracle after miracle. But it was not because of who we are. We're just ordinary people like you and I. But we love God and we love him with a passion. And we seek after him. And as I share with you this morning, I trust that something of the, the truth of the Word of God would imp, be imparted, imputed to you, and that you and I would begin to rise up and become the people that God wants us to be. This morning we heard in the beginning how we can come to the throne room boldly before Him. We heard this morning, a young man here spoke about forgiveness. Bernie's spoken about it this morning. Getting our hearts clear and pure before Him. And now let me share with you from this Hebrews 11.32. What is it that enabled these guys to press through? Now what I want to do is it said there they stopped the mouths of lions. And obviously that's talking about Daniel, isn't it? Now we're just going to quickly relate the story of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, there are these three Hebrew boys. Now it's important to know the backstory to that. These three Hebrew boys were teenagers. Now let's think about that. They were teenagers. And they were put, taken into exile. So they were taken away from their families, taken away from their culture, taken away from everything that they were secure in. And these three Hebrew boys, plus Daniel, are thrust into this uh, exile environment. And if you read through, uh, sorry, if you read through Daniel chapter 3, you'll see the, the backstory to that is where uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this massive idol. I think it was something like um, 20 odd meters high, this big idol, and everybody had to worship and bow down before that. And the, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, said to these three Hebrew boys, you guys must bow down before this thing when the music plays. And they said, we're not going to do that. We won't do that. God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Now, what was it that enabled them to say that? Teenagers, not grown men who've been through it with experience. Young teenagers, what was it that enabled them? And then Daniel, when he's 80 years old, if you go to Daniel chapter 6, you find Daniel, then they also trick him again, and he too, for 30 days, was supposed to worship nobody else except King Nebuchadnezzar. And David refuses what he does. He goes back to his room and he prays. And they know he's going to pray, and therefore they compromise him, and then the king has to send him to the lion's den. And we know that story of how David is redeemed from that. As the three Hebrew boys were, when they refused to bow down, they were told they were going to throw them into the fire. They got thrown into the fire. There was a fourth person with them, who was obviously the Lord, who, and they came out of that thing uh, in good condition. They, so they weren't burned. But what was it? What is it, friends, for you and I, that as we journey together, we shared this morning the pre-meeting, the thing on my heart is that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Through you and through me, the, 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 the manifold wisdom of God is made known. The, we've just come back from the church in Harare. 22 years ago it was planted. About the same time we planted, uh, Nick and Viv planted here. 22 years ago. It's had its fifth transition, going so well at the moment. But what was it that has sustained that church? It was people like you and I. They asked me to share there on the history I could share on the events that took place, etc. But the truth of the matter is, it's you. You are the history. You're the history of this church. And it's through you, people like you, and it's people like these in the Scriptures, that God is using to extend His kingdom and to break open boundaries. So what was it 
that uh, enable these guys to come through. Now, you, you read about Daniel, you read about David, you read about Joshua, you read about all of these guys. It's a mighty man of God, hey, or Ruth, or whoever it is. You read about these people. And we think, aren't they great? They might even, actually, it's a great God, not, not great people. It's ordinary people serving a great God. So the story of Daniel is not about how brave Daniel was going to the lion's den. He had no choice. He ended up there. The same as you and I, we face all sorts of issues. Not of our own making, but if we trust in him, he's the one that sees us through. And so here we see, I'm going to just give you a few points and then we're going to wind it up. So the first thing is, remember I said to you those three Hebrew boys were teenagers. So the first thing is that they were grounded in the faith. And that's the important thing for you and I, is to be men and women of the word of God. Men and women to be disciples, not to come to church on a Sunday to get our dollop of religion. But for us to come to be disciples, to come, for you, look at you around this morning. Everyone different. Every one of you different gifts. And as you bring those things together, as you begin to serve God together in community, then God begins to perform the miracles. This, I'd love to share with you some of the, some of the things. Is, um, the most amazing provision. Most amazing protection. Most amazing, most amazing. But it's when you and I... Trust Him. It, it, the, the, our faith that Bernie's been talking about now, it's not the, the, the measure of faith. It's not how great faith we have. We, we tremble sometimes at some of the events. We, we're confronted by many things. I was scared spitless. I'm not a brave man. <laughs> and yet God, He comes through. Why? It's because the object of faith is important. That's the, 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 the important thing. So the first thing is these teenagers, they, they grew up with a culture in their faith. In other words, they were men, they were, they were guys who had a grounding in faith. And that's important for you and I. The culture in this world today is changing radically. They're, they're going to be getting you and I to bow down to these new cultures that are coming through here. Now... You and I, unless we're grounded strongly in the Word of God, and we understand the Word of God, and we have faith in God, we, we could find ourselves compromising very easily in that. When we got to Zim, when we were, we, we were denied our permits, etc., there were two things we said we will never, ever do there. The first one was to lie, and you've got to lie through the skin of your teeth to, to get around there, to get away from things. There was roadblocks every, I don't know, kilometer at least. Uh, and to get through those things, you'd have to lie. So we promised never to lie, and we would never bribe. And that was just a, a way of life up there, as many Zimbabweans here will know. We promised never to do those things. I don't feel I could stand behind a pulpit with integrity and preach these things if I did those kind of things. And God provided. God saw us through. Why? It's because we believed in Him. We trust in Him. We know Him. We love Him. We desire Him. We're passionate for Him. We're hungry for the Word of God. So it was the, with this conviction that these three Hebrew boys said, we don't know what's going to happen to us. There's a blazing fire in front of us. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to trust God. But we're going to trust God. Daniel, I mean, it would have been easy for him to go up to his room and just pray silently and pretend he wasn't praying. I mean, these three Hebrew boys could have bowed down before the idol and pretended to worship it, but just been mute and just lay there. But they didn't compromise. Why? It's because they knew the God in whom they believed. 
And they knew that God would see them through. See, God doesn't promise us immunity from the hardship in the world. There's a lot of tough things. We've been, I've, lost, I've had cancer. We've lost a child. We've been evicted. We've been arrested. We've had all of these kind of things happen in our life. But God. But God sees you through. He delivers you through these things. Why? That's what happened to these Hebrew boys. It's your faith in Him. Your confidence in Him. And it's important for you and I to get a grounding in, in the Word of God. So they were brought up in the faith. Secondly, because of that, they had these, these values in their lives which were entrenched. They said, we believe this and we're not going to compromise that. We're not going to make excuses. So they were brought up in the faith. They were immovable with their biblical values. Uh, thirdly, th now this for me is the important thing. Or one of the important things, but extremely important. They had a deeply held conviction. And that's what it is, is. We don't understand why this is happening, what is happening, why did I get cancer, why did I have to go through, why did we lose a child? I, I don't know. Maybe one day when we get to heaven, God doesn't seem to answer the why's. But he says, the, the question is, what now? Will you trust me? Will you, will you hold on to me and allow me to take you through this thing? And so it's the conviction. I really believe that with all my heart, friends. If I can bring a message through this morning, it's the conviction that God is who He is, who says He is, and He will do what He says He will do. It's that conviction. Anything else will cause us to waver. Anything else will cause us to compromise. The conviction that God is alive and well, and He will do what He says He will do, and He is who He says He is. Everything else will want us to compromise. To, to, to take the easy way out, but trust Him. Conviction, that word, if I could paint it on the wall, conviction, a conviction that God is faithful, that God is who He says He is. That uh, conviction enabled them to be faithful to Him and then to appear to be fearless. Now, I say appear to be fearless. I don't think any of us are completely fearless. And uh, we talk about people with courage. I tell you, some of those guys, their knees are knocking. It's not, it's not this bravado thing. It's, it's, it's hard. We go through these things. But God sees us through. There was a man, a, a, an early uh, guy, um, church father, whose name was Anastasis. And he was, had the courage of his convictions. If he believed something, he lived it out. And somebody once said to him, he says, Anastasis, the whole world is against you. Because you're not compromising. You're not making, being it. The whole world is against you. To which he replied, then I'm against the whole world. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. The whole world is against you. Well, then I'm against the whole world. And so the Hebrews 11 believers, if you go through that chapter, it's an inspiring chapter. And it's, it's quite frightening too to see some of the things that actually happened to some of those dudes. But they were men and women of conviction. So you and I either believe in God or we don't. Simple. There is either a God or there isn't. You trust Him or you don't. For me, it's as black and white as that. Hebrews 11. Knew God and lived with a conviction as to His faithfulness. My friends, He is faithful. Benny and I are living testimony of that. I'd love to share some of the things with you, but we, we don't have time. In fact, this is our last Sunday with you. But it's, it's just amazing how God can make something out of nothing. I'd love to share testimonies with you. I just, you know, I'm tempted, but I know time is running out. But 
it's just, it re- God is faithful. That's the bottom line. God is faithful, friends. And maybe your circumstances are so big, so tall, but if you will go back to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I lack the courage. I ask you, please, Lord, to help me through this thing. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in you. God will see you through. So they were equipped in God's word. Important element in this thing. Equipped in the word of God. Men and women who understood the gospel. They know the word of God. They live by the word of God. Undergirded by the word of God. Today, my fear is that the church is this deep and kilometers wide. There's very little depth in the life of the church. And I think in the times that, are, that we're facing, in the times that are coming, I think we need to be, make sure that we're equipped. And I think it's going to take skillful leadership in the church too, to equip the body of Christ, to know what they believe, and to be able to defend why they believe it. It's easy to believe in, in many ways. It's a very casual thing. But to know why, to, if you're challenged as to why you believe certain things, or do you have an answer to your faith? So to be equipped in God's word, to be immovable from God's word, to be convicted about who God is and who he says he is, a conviction in your heart. You know, that's just nothing, nothing is going to change my mind. I know God is true. Conviction, remain faithful, which will enable you to appear fearless. So I close with this. I've done 35 minutes. Easier to believe God for what he wants rather than for what I want. That's probably one of the sort of things in faith too that we get a bit tripped up. We keep on believing God for something. Not wrong, but often it's, you know, we don't get what we want and then we begin to blame God for it. What we need to be doing is saying, God, what do you want? How do you want it? What do you want us to do? How do what do you want us to be? Easy to believe God for what he wants rather than for what I want. And in closing, I'll, say, I'll, I'll ask a question. I'll pose a question this morning. It says, do you hold a conviction that he says, that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do? Do you have that conviction? That God is who he says he is and that he will do for you what he says he will do. That's the conviction. So, Father, we just want to thank you for your word. I think of that scripture in Romans chapter 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. And Father, I pray this morning that these people would have hope, but their hope would be based in you, Lord God. As Bernie shared earlier, it's the object of faith that is important. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for this church. We want to pray blessing over this church, Lord that these men and women will have a test me in you, Lord God, that this church will have a test me. Father, that this church would not only be known here in Nijna, Lord, but into the region and into the nation and into the nations as well. We thank you for these men and women, simple men and women, if if I may have the audacity of calling them that, Lord. The same as me, the same as Bernie, simple people who trust in an awesome God. Lord, we're passionate for you. We want to know you more and more and more. Won't you... Uh, uh, disclose who you are, Lord. Won't you show us in, in, in unique ways, Lord, who you are, that we may know you and the power of your resurrection. And so, Father, we just want to pray. We do want to pray for Zimbabwe, Lord. We want to pray for the churches that are up there. We want to thank you, Lord God, for the men and women there that have endured so much without compromise. 
We want to pray, Father, that you would strengthen them. We want to pray, Lord, that you would protect them. We want to pray, Lord, for your provision for them. And we have some Zimbabweans that are going back there, Lord God. We pray that you would use them, Lord. We pray, Father, that they would be a, a seed deposit into that nation. Father, that they would bring the very life of God back in there. We thank you for what you're doing up there, Lord. We don't presume that they, that they are behind us. We, we recognize, Lord, and actually we, we stand and look at them and say, Father, thank you for those men and women of courage, men and women of faith, men and women who've persevered, men and women, Lord, who know the gospel. Father, we bless them. Here is a church in Nasda today. We pray over them, Lord, blessing. But for this congregation, Father, Bernie and I bless these people. We want to thank you, Lord, that they've embraced us. They've made us feel like, Lord, that we belong here. And even as we go back to Nelspreit, Father, we pray that you continue to do a mighty work in and through them. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Ian. Thanks, uh, Bernie. Um, yeah, just a wonderful testimony and encouragement to us. Uh, just get that sense of standing firm. Standing firm in your convictions, making sure your consciences are clear and trusting in a, a great God and each one of us. And uh, beautiful. And uh, yeah, thank you for the work you've done and uh, yeah, we applaud you guys. Awesome. So let's go. We leave the, leave the building. Let's, let's think about these things. You know, it's kind of uh, almost felt like coming here. You know, this is where the, what the, the, the tires hit the road. You know, sometimes we live the, the, the Christianity where it's kind of, but, you know, just, I think the thing of the, um, what kind of came out here as well is also the cultures that we live in today. And they're cultures that are breaking in on us, and we need to know that we can stand up in those cultures and not be swept away with them. So, awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a... What? Oh, you've got a picture. You're going to draw it up here. So, Kim, you come first? I know you came first out the water. <laughs> oh, well done. Where's the messenger? speaks for itself. Eh? Let's be people of the word, not that thin, because actually it's, faith comes from hearing the word, and we need to be in the word. So, awesome. Thanks, Esther. Okay, coffee, tea outside, and yeah, thanks again, you guys. <laughs>